Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. As much as you and I wish it were true, we are not perfect. David was the great psalm writer of the Bible, and he was far from perfect. Yet after he sinned, he would come back to God asking for forgiveness, and God was faithful to forgive him. Along his journey, David had learned a lot about the faithfulness of God. Along the way, David had learned we can trust God and what he says. In Psalm 139, David was overwhelmed by the merciful presence of God even when he sinned. God wants to make the same offer to you today. Here's Pastor Jim in part three of his message message, God knows you. He's with you. That's why sometimes, you know, you'll, I'll talk with people, particularly young men, and they'll tell me about a particular issue they're having. And I'm like, you know, God's sitting right there with you when you're looking at that. Do you really want him to be watching that with you? Week later, talk to them. How'd it go? This is a much better week. Really, why? I ain't showing God that stuff. I'm not doing, no way, man. You see, the fact that God comprehends our path, knows everything about us, should motivate us to sin less. But it also should motivate us to worry less. But not live just to please people or to please ourselves, but to please God. God knows all we think, all we say, and all we do. He even knows the reasoning in our hearts. A lot of times we don't know why we do the things that we do, but he knows why we do the things that we do. He knows our motives. And one of the hardest things in life is, did you ever have anyone incorrectly question your motives? I mean, you do something and they read into why you do what you do. And, and you're like, that is a hurtful thing when somebody does that to you. There's a guy who used to go here years ago. Now, if you're new here, you notice sometimes if you're new, you don't need to come to me after the service because some people will say, you know, pastor, you forgot to receive the offering. We never take an offering. We receive an offering in church world, but we don't do that here. We got a box in the back. People give online. If the passage is about money. I preach it hard. Other than that, you know, we trust God that he's going to, you know, motivate his people to, to give by the grace of God. This guy comes up to me and he goes, I finally figured out why you don't take an offering here. I said, oh, I can't wait for this one. Now, I didn't say that, but I thought it. And he goes, you just want people to feel guilty for not giving money. And inside I thought, you know, dude, I want to take an offering bag and shove it up your nose. <laughs> but I didn't. I was very pastoral. I said, well, if that's the way you feel, brother. <laughs> but, you know, people, they read into motivations. And that's something we need to be very careful of judging the motivations of others. On the same token, there's people who, who hide what they really want to say or what they really need to say. And you know who's some of the worst at that? Preachers. Preachers. I know a lot of preachers who go, I don't want to tell people the truth. I want people to like me. I'm like, aren't you afraid of God? I, 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 I mean, I want, I, want to, I want everybody to come back next week. I don't want to, so many guys say, I don't want to offend people. When the Bible says that the gospel is an offense. 
to tell you that you're a sinner, that God knows everything in your, in your head, that you need him to save you from your sins is offensive to people. That doesn't mean we're offensive, but that is offensive. We need to tell people the truth in a kind and loving way. But people will always misconstrue us in our emotion and our motivations. That's just a fact of life. If we fast forward a, a thousand years, the apostle Paul, after Jesus has died on the cross, rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, he writes this to his problem child, Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 to 5. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged or evaluated, some versions say, by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. Now, does he confess his sins? Of course he does. He says, for I know of nothing against myself. What is he saying to them? They were mad at him. And he's like, I, I don't really think I did anything wrong to you guys. I mean, no one's really made a case. Sometimes do you ever have anybody come up to you and go, I'm really mad at you. And you go, why? They go, and they can't even explain it. He says, yet I am not justified by this. Another version says, that's not what makes me innocent, but he who judges me is the Lord. Or he who evaluates me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels or motives of the heart. Then each one prays, each one's praise will come from God. He said, God knows what's going on inside of me. You can say whatever you want about me. God knows. And if you're right, God knows. And if you're wrong, God knows. So be very, very careful in judging the motivations of people. Now, sometimes you have to, those of you who are bosses, you have to do sometimes job reviews. That is performance. That is not motivations. So if someone came in late to work every day, you couldn't say to them, well, you just don't care. You should say, I notice you're coming in late. Is, is there an issue? And they might be like, well, you know, my mother used to drive my kids to school, but she really she's, hasn't been well lately. And now I have to take the kids to school. And so I come in a few minutes late. Um, you see, we don't know what's going on in people's lives. I mean, you read that about, about what Paul writes, and it sounds like he's been reading King David, that God really knows what's going on in my heart. Verse five, he says, you've hedged behind me and before me. In other words, you've encircled me and you've laid or you've placed your hand Upon me. When I, when I read stuff like that, God's hand, I think of the potter molding the clay. I know that you're guarding me, and I know that you're using this difficulty in my life to, to mold me into your image. On the one hand, no one can escape the observation of God. Yet for a follower of Jesus, those who, will, who have, Jesus said, repented and believed, turned to God and put their trust in him, he says, David says, your hand is always upon me. So if you're a follower of Jesus, God's hand is always upon you. So whether you take God surrounding you as positive or negative, I guess depends upon your relationship with God. You should want God's hand upon you. I don't know about you, I totally want God's hand upon me. 
I pray that I pray that for myself. I pray that for all of you, especially praying it now as we start community groups. I'm like, God, let people be honest with certain things and fill other people in the group with compassion, encouragement, and wisdom to know what to say. And, and, and how it's important that we, when someone really shares their heart, we say this to them, thank you for sharing that. And then when you share that, you know, when, you, when you, you're vulnerable in front of a group of people and it, you're done talking and you feel like a complete idiot, you're like, I'm just going to go be the troll and live under the bridge. And someone just, just says, hey, man, thank you for sharing that with us. What a relief that brings to your heart. You know what you need to do then? If you're the person who opened it and was vulnerable, you need to send them a text and says, you know, I felt like such a dweeb as soon as I got done sharing my heart. And just you saying, thank you for sharing, that meant the world to me. That's how you develop openness in a group. When people are sharing and they don't feel judged, they feel loved. They feel embraced. Because listen, I don't know all of you, not, but I know a lot of you and you all got stuff. We all have stuff. And if you don't think you don't have stuff, you really got stuff. <laughs> it seems like King David is telling us that knowing what he knows about the Lord. He's in awe of God because he feels what? Safe and surrounded. Even though he has not always done the best things, he feels safe and surrounded. You, you may say right now, you may say, oh, I don't feel that way. That's okay. You know what that is? That when you, if you don't feel safe and surrounded by God, that is a merciful, loving God calling you back to himself. If you're not a follower of Jesus, that is a gracious, merciful, and loving God calling you to himself. I want you to feel safe and surrounded. Yeah, you got to do the things you got to do. But I want to pour into your life. If you know the story of King David, it is, it is one of the most interesting stories in the Bible. I mean, you want to talk about a guy who's from A to Z. I mean, you read the stuff that he does. I mean, he does some crazy bad stuff, really bad stuff. Commits adultery, kills the guys, the woman's husband. I mean, just has some not good stuff. Doesn't react the way he should in certain situations. Let's people scot-free of crimes and stuff like that. He just does some really bad stuff. So on the one hand, you have that. And on the other hand, you have this. I mean, I, I'm going to tell you something, man. This dude intimidates me. This dude knows God at a level I only could ever dream of. I mean, he's over here. I'm like, how do you do this? And yet, man, brother, dude, you know the Lord like I can't believe I get it that you're the man after God's own heart. God took his own heart and put it inside of you, man, because nobody's like this. Nobody writes like this. 
He writes, God knows every sin I commit. And he's like, and I praise you. We're like, we want to hide. The guy's absolutely amazing. You see, but here's the thing. He would do those stupid things. Lie, cheat, and steal. But he would always come back over here. He would always come back to the loving, forgiving, heavenly father and judge and ask for the forgiveness of sins. So maybe that's you. And you're like, I'm over here, man. I am A to Z, man. I I don't even know where to start. What do you do? You repent. You turn around. You come back to God. You seek the forgiveness of sins. And you welcome his hand upon you. Now, maybe he's been putting some pressure on you. Maybe you're like, I once knew God and I don't really feel like I know him anymore. That pressure is him saying to you, you come back, my child. That's not I hate you. That's you come back. I haven't let go. You let go, but I haven't let go. More than likely, verse five will turn from a curse to a comfort. As David realized that God went from counting sins to erasing them when he confessed them to God. That's how a guy can do that stuff and still write that way because he believes. When God says, I forgive you, he actually believes it. He actually believes it. That's why we call the story of Jesus Christ the gospel, a simple thing that means good news. It is good news. Another guy who did a lot of bad stuff. God loves taking people who do a lot of bad stuff and showing them off as trophies of grace to the world. Once again, writing to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, verse 18 and 19 He said, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself. What what happens to reconcile? Two reconciliation, two parties. They can't see eye to eye. There's something in between them. People get divorced. Some of you have gotten divorced for irreconcilable differences. And so he says, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. That was what was going on on the cross and has given to us, who's us, the church, the ministry of reconciliation. When you know you have been reconciled to God because of Jesus Christ, you have that ministry of reconciliation because you want to tell other people. If you're here today because somebody brought you here to church, they want you to understand that you can be reconciled to God. He goes on, verse 19. That is, he explains it, that God was in Christ reconciling the world. The world is typically, in the Bible, is typically unbelieving people. So God was doing what? In Christ, on the cross, restoring the relationship of, to God for people that was ruined by our sin. That is, That God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespass against them. Let me tell you how another version translates that. Not counting people's sins against them. 
And he has committed to us, the church, God's people, the word or the message of reconciliation. Now, let me come back to a concept that if you get it, you will not be the same. It's impossible. It is impossible. He says in the middle of the verse, and I'm going to quote that other version, not counting people's sins against them. He doesn't say that God wasn't counting sins. He says that God wasn't counting sins against you if you put your trust in Jesus. He wasn't counting sins against me because I put my trust in Jesus. He was counting our sins against Jesus. That is the good news of the gospel. Not that God doesn't count sins, is that when you put your faith and trust in him, he changes who he counted the sins towards. And when that lands on your heart, when that lands on your soul, you can never be the same. You can't. You just can't. And so how does David react to this? He says, verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Another version says, it is beyond me. In other words, it's just too overwhelming. I can't get this. You mean to tell me, and he was looking forward to the coming Messiah. You mean to tell me that the one who never sinned, who never had a sinful thought, never had a sinful word come out of his mouth, Live 24-7 in dependence upon his heavenly father. I can't even believe that. It's incredible that he took my sins for me. He says, it is high. It is lofty. I can't attain it. I mean, that is a great, great feeling, friends. To be overwhelmed. To be speechless. To be, for, to be breathless before God and to really put your trust in him. I tasted a little bit about it from you guys when we were singing that last song before we came up here to begin the message. My Savior, my God is always there for me. And watching just the, the vibrancy with some of you, you sang that to realize that God and God alone is powerful and personal enough and wise enough to lead and direct my life. But loved ones, that will never happen if you're trying to decide between following yourself or the God who knows you, who really knows you. It's like David is saying, I, I can't get my arms around this, man. And I will spend the rest of my days trying to get my arm around this. The wonder of God and his love for me, it's just beyond my imagination. I can't even, I can't even, I can't even deal with it. It's amazing. What a great reaction it is to be a follower of Jesus filled with awe and wonder. What a great thing for us to become a church that is filled with the awe and wonder of God. Don't worry about inviting your friends. They'll see it in you. They'll want to come. 
They, they want to, what's going on with you, man? What is different about you? People like David realize that they are not saved by what they do. They are saved from their sins by the grace of God and the cross of Jesus Christ. And they are not only saved by that grace, but they are preserved by that grace and they are transformed into different people by that grace day by day as they walk with Jesus Christ. The apostle Paul felt the same way. He's writing the book of Romans and he says in verse chapter 11, verse 33, it says, oh, no, that's not what it says. As he's writing, it hits him. Oh, man. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways are past finding out. He is filled with awe and wonder. And he's another guy. Did a lot of bad stuff. And God used him in a mighty way. At the end of verse six, David wrote about God's knowledge. He said, it is high and I cannot attain it. Another version puts it this way. I am unable to reach it. I am trying to reach for you, God. And I just can't do it. And that, my dear friends, those of you who believe and those of you who don't yet believe is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God knew we couldn't reach him. So he reached down to us. He became a man in the person they knew as Jesus of Nazareth the carpenter's son. He was poor. So it's for anybody. He came from what some people thought was a single mom, but he was, she was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. He reached down to us in Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the savior, the King. So you don't have to reach for God. God has reached out to you and he is never far and you can grab a hold of him today. That famous verse, Romans 5, 8 says this, but God demonstrates or shows or proves his own love towards us. This is how God proves it. Some people talk a good game. God proved it that in while we were still sinners, David might say, despite all he knew about us, Christ died for us. And the idea of that is he died instead of us. While God's complete knowledge of you may make you feel uneasy, we will see next week that David says, no, this is a wonderful thing because you can't get away from him. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you have every reason to feel uneasy and afraid. Until... You put your trust in Jesus. Yet those who put their trust in Jesus as their savior have no reason to feel uneasy and afraid. That's because on the cross, your sins were counted against Jesus and not you.
and Jesus died and rose from the dead so you would never die. Jesus died instead of you so you would never die. And so David, despite all of his screw-ups, rejoices in the presence of God, his refuge, and pressure that surrounds him everywhere is replaced with wonder and awe. May that be to you. May that be to me. May that be to our church that we would know the wonderful God who is powerful, which means he can help us, and who is personal, which means he wants to help us and knows everything about us, and he still loves us. Thanks for listening to Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Changed by Love is designed to bring you hope, encouragement, and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please pray with us that Changed by Love will make a profound difference in many lives. We are stronger together than we could ever be apart. Teaming together in prayer is the key to a spiritually rich life. It really does take a team of praying individuals to reach thousands. Thank you for being a part of the Changed by Love support team. To find out more ways to team with Changed by Love, go to our website at changedbyloveradio.org or you could call 862-217-9686. Thank you for spending time with Pastor Jim Kevney and Changed by Love.